I'd like to invite you to take your Bibles and to open them with me to Ephesians, the fifth chapter, and we're going to begin our study with the 31st verse. Ephesians, the fifth chapter, starting with the 31st verse, and we're going to read and study through the 33rd verse. Like always, I encourage you to keep the word open in front of you and to not only follow along as I read from it, but as I then start to explain it, please keep your Bible open and just follow along and let the Holy Spirit speak to you through his written word. Once you've found your place, put your finger in your Bible and let me see your face. Let's ask for God's help. Father, as we open your word, I pray you'd open our minds. We are so sure of ourselves so often, Lord, that we lose the newness of what you have to say to us. I pray for your blessing on the reading and the preaching of your word. And I ask you, dear God, to then help us remember it, that we might live by it. Thank you for this opportunity that you now give us. In Jesus' name. Amen. I have a friend. I have more than one friend. I have a particular friend. He and his wife lived in a neighborhood in Columbia, and they decided they wanted to move out into a rural area. They started looking for some land, and they found a beautiful piece of land. At the time, it was pretty remote. It's not quite so remote anymore. And as they looked at the property and were trying to find a site to build their new home, they saw this magnificent, historic red oak tree. I asked my friend to tell me how big it was so I could tell you about it. And he told me it was in excess of 70 feet tall. And he told me that it had a circumference of 14 feet. And some of the limbs reached out 25 and 30 feet. Angelic spread of wings, of limbs. If you stood back at the road in front of his house and looked at it, it was breathtaking. If you sat on my friend's front porch and looked at it, it was just glorious. If you walked up real close where you could touch it and you began to look, You know what you'd see? Stress marks in the bark. You've seen that before in trees. Something causes the stress marks. My friend and others didn't think much about it because it was so strong and beautiful. And and a few weeks ago, we had a horrendous windstorm. During the night, about eight or nine feet from the ground, that red oak tree snapped off. When it fell, it left jagged edges behind on the trunk. And as the tree fell toward the road, there were young sprouts that had grown up around it from its own acorns. And it crushed so many of them. There were other trees around, and it broke limbs out of some and took some of them right to the ground and broke them off. There was a power line. And the tree fell across the power line. 
and took my friend's power off in the middle of the night and a number of people who lived on down the road woke up with no lights. You know why I tell you that? My wife and I were in his front yard looking at the tree on the ground and I said, give me some information on that tree because I want to tell folks about it at Hilton Head because it reminds me of so many marriages. If you stand back at a distance and you look, we all look pretty good on Sunday, don't we? We even look pretty good in public the rest of the week. But if you get up close to some marriages, you start to see the stress marks. And you know who sees them most of all? Our children. People who live right there with us and are influenced by the way we live our lives. The red oak tree in my friend's yard didn't just snap off. I walked over to it, and if you looked at the outer bark in this huge circumference, it looked relatively healthy. But you know what was on the inside of that massive tree? A huge hole. And on the outer part of that hole was what used to be viable living wood. And it was black and you could stick your finger through it. So what happens in so many marriages, certainly not all by God's grace, but in a lot of marriages. We look pretty good on the outside, but on the inside, we're losing our vitality and our very life. And you and I are living with evidence of that all around us. It's just been reported this last week that 40% of the children who are born into our society are born into homes where mom and dad are not married. Those 40% are going to grow up and become adults. And they're going to bring that experience with them into their adult life. There's so many people who don't want to get married They've been up close and they've seen those stress marks in their mom and dad's relationship. Our country hadn't gotten into the shape it's in just overnight. There are a lot of symptoms. And so many of them lead back to the home and to the family. God is very good. God has given his son Jesus to us. And those of us who know Jesus have the potential and the opportunity to get our lives in order where his Holy Spirit dwells in us. And we can be obedient and experience the blessing of God. Or we can ignore him and die a little bit on the inside until we become very fragile. God understands all that. And God tells us in his word, not once, but repetitively, how he wants us to live our lives. I want to read to you the conclusion of a three-part series that we've been doing. And it comes from Ephesians, the fifth chapter. And it's the 31st through 33rd verses. God's been talking to us about a woman who loves Jesus, who is a wife and how she is to live. He's talked to us about a man who loves Jesus 
and how that man as a husband ought to live. And now he gives a summary of that. I want you to listen. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife, even as himself. And the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. You know, this is not a new thought with God. When he first created Adam, and we read it earlier in our Old Testament study, when he first created Adam, he had a design for Adam. He wanted to give Adam a helpmate. So scripture says so very beautifully, he took a rib from Adam, he closed up the wound, and he made a woman. Need I repeat, he did not make another man? All through scripture, we're taught that marriage is between a man and a woman. The need that Adam had, in a sense, the incompleteness that he had, could not be filled or fixed by having pets or animals. God created a helpmate for him. And when Adam looked at her, he called her woman because she was similar to him and yet uniquely different. And one of the things that is a byproduct of that is the fruit of that union has some of Adam and some of Eve and yet is a very unique person unto themselves. That's the byproduct only of the union of a man and a woman. I heard just this last week, as some of you did, that the state of Maryland has now joined seven other states by allowing same-sex marriage. We need to not get used to that. We need to not give a nod to that. We need to stand for the truth of Scripture. God, from the very beginning of time, as recorded in Genesis, has always had a design for that relationship between a man and a woman. And yet it touches so many of our families. Finding the balance in life and being able to love and still not condone is what we need to do. Being able to be a witness, as we heard from 1 John, to be a light in this dark world is so important. One way we can do that is by making sure our homes are okay. You're going to have stress in life. You're going to have stress in marriage. You can't avoid that. We're this side of heaven, folks, and as long as we're this side of heaven, that's going to happen. But God has given us all sorts of tools to use to help fortify us and make us strong and to give us character that we might be able to face the challenges. And what he says to us in this passage is very clear. He says, let me tell you what you can do to strengthen your marriage so that those stress marks will be minimal 
and so your house will never fall over. He says to us, I want you to leave your father and mother. He's talking to both husbands and wives. Now, very quickly, let me give you a disclaimer. He is not saying stop caring for your parents. They sacrificed for us. We need to sacrifice when the time comes for them. And that's appropriate. They have loved us, and we in turn should love them all the days of our life. They have provided for us, and that needs to come to an end. They have provided emotionally for us. They have provided financially for us. When you get married, you turn to your spouse and you look for that kind of support from your spouse. When I was growing up, my mom and dad were in one bedroom and my bedroom backed up to theirs. We had a two-bedroom home. And I knew that any time of night, I could reach up over my head and hit that wall and my daddy would come around and everything was going to be okay. Linda and I got married. We were in our bedroom one night with the lights out, and my wife hears a noise on the other side of the door out in the living room. You know what she said to me? Would you go see what that is? You know what I wanted to do? I wanted to say, Daddy, and bang on the wall. Daddy wasn't even in the same state. And I realized I had to get out of bed and go check out the living room. You know, we bond with our parents because we go through good times, we go through challenging times, and we get through those things, and that's where the bonding comes from. What God wants us to do is he wants a husband and wife to not turn to their parents, but to turn to each other. And gradually that bonding takes place, and you become one. I have a very dear friend who's with the Lord today, lived in another city in another state, and I heard him say something one day that broke my heart. I know his entire family, and he and his wife had gotten up in years, and they had a, an adult daughter who had fallen in love with a man who lived in another city. And she was talking about getting married and moving to this other city. And her mom and dad let her know that that was not acceptable because they needed her. And they wanted her to stay in their city and take care of her. You know, folks, if you love your child, you want God's design to work out in their life. So as they grow up and go through high school and vocational school or college, All of that is a God-given process where some emotional distancing begins to take place. And when they get married, it takes a quantum leap. And we should want to say to our children, we want you to bond to each other. We don't need to bond anymore. Isn't that hard? I keep telling my children to watch and every now and then I get up and walk across the room when they're all there. And when my mom was with us for a while, I got on my knees one Sunday in front of her and I said, Mama, what would you like? And she said with a smile on her face, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm just modeling for my kids how I want to be treated. (laughs) 
We need to love our kids so much that we want them to bond and we want them to leave us in some senses. If you look on down, you'll see he then says to us, you're to be joined together. I love the word cleave, which is used in many translations. He's saying, I want you to cleave unto each other. And what he's saying is, is I want you to be glued to each other. You ever worked with instant glue? And you're fixing something? How many of you have been where I'm going right now? (laughs) And all of a sudden you realize your fingers are kind of stuck together. But you think to yourself, no big deal. I can take care of that in a minute. And you finish your task kind of awkwardly. And when you finally get through and you start to separate those fingers, they don't want to separate. They are glued together. And then at sometimes great pain, you finally get them separated. God is saying to us, no, I want you to be joined together. I want you to be glued together permanently. In premarital counseling forever, I have said to young couples sitting in my office, I've said to the man, I want you to reach out and take your wife's wrist to be wife, wrist. And I want you to hold it comfortably. And I don't want you to let go. Ever. That's what God wants for a husband and a wife. To be so bonded to each other that it's obvious to their children, it's obvious to other people, and most importantly, it's obvious to your mate that you're not going anywhere, that you are one. I said to my wife many, many years ago, let's never think or say the word divorce. And I've told that to all three of my children when they got married. Don't allow yourself to go there because scripture teaches what you think is what you become. So that's not a possibility. We're not going there. Tell your kids that. Tell yourself that. This is a permanent relationship as long as you live. If you look on down just a bit more, he says, I want you to be one flesh. Two individuals subject to each other, back in verse 21, who have surrendered to each other and are now blending themselves. And the blending doesn't happen like when you put things in a blender and you push a button and instantaneously you're there. That's not how it happens. You know how it happens. You try to get your own way. You try to force the other person to do something and you go through a process of give and take and And over a while, you realize that's not a fruitful way to do it. And you start realizing that what God wants is he wants you to be blended together. He wants you to be engrafted. You and I are engrafted into Christ by his grace. And we are taking on his attributes as we live. And that's his plan. As you become husband and wife, That process brings you together and you become inseparably one, a unique person. And if you look at that couple, you can still see the two individuals, but they're so engrafted to each other that you see somebody else too. You know how I know that? My wife keeps telling me she knows what I'm thinking. 
And most of the time she does. How do you get that way? It's that engrafting. It's becoming one with each other. And that's what God wants for us in our marriage. It shouldn't surprise us when you get over into Matthew, the 19th chapter in the 6th verse. We're told what God has joined together. Let no person tear, tear asunder. Why tear? Because you have a new living organism, the marriage. And when you start to dissolve that or it starts to collapse from the inside out, you're tearing something that's alive apart. And God says to us, that's not what I want you to do with your marriage. I don't want you to tear it apart. Someone told me yesterday, unrelated to all this in a conversation, that a member of his family, one of his children, has gone through a divorce. And very quickly said, you know, if you're going to do that, they did it well, and they had real peace in that. And I wanted to preach. I wanted to start preaching over the telephone, but I didn't. Because I'll see him. (laughs) And I'll have my opportunity to say something. And I said, well, how are their kids doing? Because his child and the person they are now married to, a second mate, both have children. He said, you know, my daughter's kids are doing pretty well. They're both living in another city, one with an aunt and one with a grandparent. Hey, folks, that's not how it's supposed to work. There's nothing perfect about that divorce. Ask the children. Ask them in 10 or 20 years about the hurt that has been inflicted on them. That's what happens when you tear asunder. That's what happened when the red oak tree fell on the new sprouts from its own acorns. They got damaged. It's the way God made our world. And he does not want us to damage these relationships. The design that he had in the very beginning of time is the same design that he has today. And he says, these are the things I want you to do. These are the things that will help you internally in your marriage to be strong and to find happiness. I want to add a little asterisk over here. If any of this is painful for you, say something to me after church. Give me an opportunity to sit with you and just talk with you. I come out of a divorce situation. And I know what kind of pain's in that. So please know that I'm quite approachable on this topic. If you look on down at the 32nd verse, you might say, now why in the world did the Lord, when he's talking about marriage, put this verse in the scriptures? It says, this mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. I can tell you why. He says, here, let me give you an example of how this marriage is supposed to work. He says, so look at Jesus and look at his church, us. We were sinners living in darkness. God said, I want you and I want you and I want you. And he sent his Holy Spirit on us while we were in sin brought us under conviction and gave us a capacity to understand 
And then he brought us with this irresistible grace into a saving relationship to where we realize that Jesus didn't die for himself. He died for us to cover all of the sins of our life. You all have that down? You understand? He did that while we were still sinners. And then scripture teaches God has forgiven us and God doesn't keep an accounting of our sins. Praise the Lord, he doesn't. It's real grace. And now he says, and this is how your marriage ought to work. You come together in your imperfect people. And as you come together and you're bonded together because God has drawn you together, Out of all the zillions of people, he causes you to fall in love with the person you fall in love with. Isn't that a miracle? And he said, you're not going to get it right all the time. But that's not a reason for divorce. Instead, it's a time for forgiveness. And as you forgive, the bonding gets stronger and stronger and your children see that bonding they see that forgiveness at work and they learn an invaluable lesson Linda and I were in our kitchen years ago and all three of our children were sitting in the family room and they could see into the kitchen where we were and and I was explaining something to Linda you all understand that you got it I was explaining, I wasn't using my pulpit voice, but I wasn't using my normal voice either. And suddenly it dawned on me, all three of our children were sitting, and they were teenagers and one upper elementary, and they were all looking at us. And I stopped, and I turned around, and I said to our children, everything's okay in here. Mama and I are okay. I'm just explaining to her. And I said, you all just sit there now and watch how this works. And I turned back around, and Linda finished explaining to me. (laughs) Our children need to learn that there is forgiveness. Folks, I want you to go and think about this. There is no sin committed between a man and a woman that cannot be forgiven. You hear? When God said, I hate divorce, he meant, I hate divorce. You and I both know there are a couple of conditions where Moses was allowed to give a divorce. He was allowed to give a certificate of divorce when there was total alienation, when the separation emotionally was so complete and the marriage was so severed in that case, when there is adultery. But can those things be repented of? I certainly hope so. And I know folks, and I have, I was thinking about this this morning driving in. I have married couples for their second time. One of our closest friends, he and his wife got a divorce for all the wrong reasons. And it must have crushed their adult children. And it wasn't a year later, he was trying to put it back together. And she made him go through premarital counseling. And they'd been married about 30 years the first time. And I got to do the premarital counseling. And I want you to know that's a hoot when you got two folks like that. And you know, their marriage today is so much stronger. I have another couple that I see with some frequency. 
the man did some terrible things. Injured his kids, injured his wife, left her, and for some 20 years was separate doing the thing he just had a heart to do. Neither one of them ever remarried. One day he called his ex-wife and said, would you go to dinner with me? She didn't want to go to dinner with him, but she did. I had the honor of marrying them. And they walk around holding hands, and that's been more than 10 years ago now, and are so much in love. It took a while for the forgiveness to happen and for the repentance, but it happened. God has forgiven us. He's shown us grace. It's a model for marriage. And that's why the Lord puts it right in the middle of this passage. 31, he says, Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife. When I preached earlier on loving one's own wife, I didn't mention this. You notice it says your own wife, not somebody else's. It's important. I mean, these words are placed there with precision by God through his spirit. And he's saying to a man, I want you to love sacrificially. I want you to put your wife first. Why do you think he says that in a summary statement? Because it's so hard for most of us. We're so selfish. We want to dominate. We want things our way. Now, I'm an exception to that, but I know that's true of most of you men. So God says, I want you to be selfless in your relationship. But then he says to the wife, I want you to respect your husband. Didn't choose the word love. I want you to honor your husband. Ladies, there are times when we don't deserve to get honored. And in truth, we know that. God said, here's what I want vertically for you. I want you to honor your husband. And you know, a couple of wonderful things happen when you honor your husband. Oftentimes, it will capture his heart. And that kind of love, honoring, will cause him to go through a change. And he'll become more selfless. You know what the other beautiful French benefit? Your kids will see it. And they'll grow up with a sense of honoring those who are older, those who are in authority. And folks, we have lost that in so much of our society. We teach those things in our home. So the Lord says, fellas, I want you to love your wives unselfishly. And ladies, I want you to respect your husbands. Now, what makes all that happen? How's that possible? It's all about Jesus. When you love Jesus because he first loved you, you start taking the stuff that you think is so important and putting it aside and saying, you know, maybe I need to do it his way to please him. Maybe I need to surrender it to honor him. And you start to express your love for Jesus by the way you relate to your mate. And marriage 
is very, very different. It becomes not perfect, but so much better. And as the years go by, it gets sweeter and sweeter. Doesn't it, Linda? Doesn't it? Let's pray together. Father, we have so damaged one of the most precious things that you've ever given to us. So many marriages are in shambles and there's so much hurt and so much pain. And Lord, you have a much better idea. Because we love your son, you would have us love and respect our mates. And to live for you And not just for what we think is going to bring happiness to us. Father, I want to thank you on behalf of all of us. Our three times together in these passages have spoken to us because you love us. Because you want this institution called marriage to work in a fruitful way for us and for our children and our children's children. Thank you, Lord. Thank you in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.